It's six pack double feature. Two friends, two movies, two mics, and too many drinks. They watch, they drink, they talk, you listen. The guys ask and you voted. Thanks for being part of a great season. As promised and without further delay, the mystery will now be solved. What are their favorite movies? Yeah, so um, we, <laughs> <laughs> we we did this a little differently than than uh, than advertised. Um, Considering we're now sitting down and talking, and, <laughs> and it's been since what July? <laughs> yes, yes, and I don't believe as of this recording, the last episode of the season hasn't aired yet. When we officially uh, invite you to vote, vote. on our uh, whether to watch Rocky Horror and Phantom of the Paradise or our favorite movies, we got impatient. We did like a th- we did a three way, and I don't. <laughs> we did a menage a trois of <laughs> of uh, of. Uh, episodes to people that could vote <laughs> and what i was, was the like third one? i picked like summer school and like maybe oh, fast times at ridgemont high yeah. right after i like gave those two i was like man why did i list those two as the ones that well, people would want to vote for you're probably drunk because in uh, case you don't know this is six pack double feature six pack double feature how you doing buddy i'm doing good how are you i'm, I'm good it feels like it's been almost six months <laughs> Yeah. All, more like five and a half. It feels like five and a half months. Um, yeah, so we got impatient because we wanted to record another one. So it's our favorite movies. Yeah, and, we decided uh, uh, people really don't want. I didn't want to watch any of those <laughs> other ones. And oh, I watch all. I watch all of them. I mean, we could be right with the tw- with the you know seven people that will send an email to us. <laughs> When they listen to the last one, if they remember, they may actually all vote for our favorite movies, so we may have already well, known. they're getting it now. They're getting so. it, regardless. So now... Nathan is the guest here in my home, so I've allowed him to flip the official quarter. Okay. Um, and it's not an official official quarter. It's just a regular old run-of-the-mill quarter. No, if I first. flip it, you got to call it. Oh, okay. Okay. So, all right. And here we go. You ready? Yep. Heads. You're going to have to look. It's tails. Oh, so we get to do Raiders of the Lost Ark first. Oh, Raiders. They don't really drink a lot of beer in that movie, but yeah. they sure do drink a lot of alcohol. Before you open that, I have something else to, to try oh, first. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> uh, I did a little research. Let me scroll down my list here. Um, you remember, not, not the drinking contest at Marion's Bar, but... Rather, a little bit later when she's being held captive, when she's drinking with Renee Belloc. Yeah. And it's like that clear liquid. Yeah. You don't, it's like you don't know what it is. Well, I did enough research that it's <laughs> one of two things. It's, and they're... Camel pee yeah. or... <laughs> so, uh, in doing some research and realizing that Renee is... Uh, French. Er, French, and I believe when researching the Indiana Jones wiki, which of course is 100% accurate and authentic, that he came from a wealthy family that owned a vineyard. Sure, And sure. so, uh, outside of wine, they make distilled spirits from what's left over. Uh, everything else, the skins and the stems and everything. We call it Eau de Vie or uh, Grappa. And so, we're going to have to try at least... We're gonna have to. Oh, that sounds so much better. That's why you wanted the rocks glasses. You are correct. I thought you were gonna like Yahtzee it up with the quarter and flip and. <laughs> All right. So you gotta crack that sucker open. We gotta try at least. 
a nip. A, yeah, a little bit. It may be. It may go down as smoothly as when Belloc drinks it. <laughs> Does it make a fun sound when you open it? I have no idea because <laughs> I forgot to prep it beforehand, and, and now wait. <laughs> poor, poor couple. Really small. <laughs> we are not thirsty. That's why they're not thirsty, right yeah, there. Well, Jesus. Cheers. <laughs> Salud. <laughs> Ooh, man. Not as bad as I thought it would be, but it's um, kerosene and um, oregano. Whoo! That'll uh, that's gonna sit in my uh, cabinet for a while <laughs> until someone comes over that you don't like. <laughs> and uh, so, for the listeners, what is that? Again? It's called grappa. Grappa. It's a pomace brandy. Let's do this right now. For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is their Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let it go. We have no time. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I'm not kidding. In Exciting. the uh, in the amount of time between starting that trailer and now, that camel pee has. <laughs> I had a head change, man. No wonder the Greeks are so happy. Yeah, I'm gonna go to. <laughs> I'm gonna go to my beer. Well, yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking um, a Fat Bottom uh, Ida, which is a golden ale. Okay. Because uh, that's just what I found. I also went against code. I didn't buy a six pack. I bought a four pack, which you automatically called me on when I brought it over. But they're kind of tall boys. So they it's are. They a... are pints. Oh. <laughs> Mine is a slightly different sound today. Um, being that this is our favorite movies, I went with what was at one time my favorite beer, and you have to use a bottle opener. And yeah. uh, that beer is Newcastle. Yeah, that's... the one and only. It's delicious. Get right into it, uh, Raiders. Your favorite movie. So you're damn right. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and bet that most of the people 
both of the people listening to this <laughs> have seen Raiders at least once, so you don't have to go into too much detail. But people know who Indiana Jones is, I would think, by now. He's a pop culture icon pretty much soon after he put on that fedora and that movie was released. Pretty much as soon as you meet him, you're like, this dude is... <laughs> Badass. Yeah, but that... That shot where they come in just behind him there. Oh yeah, that it's like three three minutes. I timed it. I was looking at it from when the credits started rolling. It's like three minutes and fifteen seconds before you see his face, <laughs> and he turns around and interacts. And of course, his first thing to do is to pull out his whip and disarm a guy because that's awesome. <laughs> that's that it shows you straight away uh, what kind of dude this is. He's no. Or he knew that guy was a really slow draw because <laughs> he pulled the hammer back, which tipped him off. Is it click, 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 and then his head tilts, and it's like, yeah. I would, like he, I always notice how like sweaty he is, and like he's got that five o'clock shadow, which is part of the character. But yeah. like, why in the hell, dude? You're in Venezuela. Pop that leather jacket off, dude. Are you yeah. not? Are you have like a death wish? I'll bet you reek. I never thought about the fact that he is wearing that a leather, leather jacket, bomber. Probably, yeah. probably a long sleeve shirt and trousers well, and a hat, a um, felt hat in the jungle. All right, so take it away. Oh, well, my brief synopsis is very brief. <laughs> the year is 1936. <laughs> Indiana Jones... Is a badass. Is a badass. The end. The end, yeah. No, uh, Indiana Jones, an archaeologist with a flair for adventures commissioned by the U.S. Army Intelligence to locate the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis, who believe it has powers to make their armies invincible. That's all I put down because honestly, anybody who's listening to this has probably seen Raiders of the Lost Ark at least once. Yeah. And you and I were talking as we were uh, in the last couple of weeks as we were gearing up for this, and it was really hard for me to take notes while oh, I was watching because I just I had to, to keep pausing because I wanted to watch it, but I wanted to write something down. I didn't want to miss anything, and so I, I kept pausing when I would type something out, <laughs> and then I would go back, especially when it's like the scenes that you really like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hold on. I did the same yeah. thing, but I, I take my notes old school with uh, pen and paper, so that takes even longer. So there's a movie coming up in season two. It's, yeah, hey, guess what, guys? We got renewed for a second season. Because um, <laughs> we pay for this shit. And, and we're we will, renewing it for a second season. And we will do it for as long as we want. Briefly, 90-minute movie that took me about three hours to do notes for. So, and if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you probably already know what movie that is, but, um, so we're kind of going here. This, this one may run a little long. Sorry, Jeff. Just bear with us. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to talk about a movie that we really both enjoy watching because both of us love the movies that are our favorites. Absolutely. Too, so, absolutely. so at this point no, in my, I can't drink that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'll t- you, dude, you can leave it here. I might get no, into that. I it's mean, about I, to be Christmas I, it's, time. But it's, um, <laughs> At this point in my life, I can't. It's hard to look at this movie like, uh, like anything other than a, like a like a, an old friend or a relative that you're, yeah, not intimately necessarily familiar with, but you have a, a vast knowledge of. So it's hard to look at it as just like a movie. It's just it's hard to. It's, it is what yeah, it is. You it's know? difficult to come to it uh, with fresh eyes, like you've never seen it before, and go, "How would I look at this now?" Because I've been watching this movie. For for me, for thirty years, you know, on and off, and consistently enough for at least twenty, I would I would venture a guess that the first time uh, I saw this movie was probably a recorder 
1986, the ABC Sunday Night movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I found it on YouTube, the intro, and it just took me right back. Sweet. What's amazing, it was from 86. The movie was five years old by then. And it just amazes me that the network premiere, you know, yeah. took five years from theater. Was, it, what, was VHS a thing at that point? Yeah. Okay. 86 VHS was the thing. Uh, we had uh, we took a video recorder when my my family went to um, back to Washington D.C. and New York City and Boston and all that stuff. We had our own camcorder, and the camcorder the camera was one, and then it had a cable that ran oh, down yeah. and connected to the shoulder of the recording unit. <laughs> I can't. I, I that mean, it's a, me. you think it's you think it's an inconvenience when you need to pull out your phone to record something. <laughs> that is nuts. Um, it's odd that you mentioned that. That uh, uh, it reminds me of this. Uh, this really good documentary on Netflix about Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just called Raiders. You're talking about those kids, the kids that spent their entire summer for like eight years or whatever shooting yeah. everything. They shot everything. The they, only thing they didn't shoot. Spoiler alert is my favorite scene. Okay, well, let's the, not talk about yeah, it then. But we will get there. But that's the, that's the only okay. thing they couldn't shoot. Cool. But that's my favorite. Um, so if you haven't seen that, it's called Raiders, and it's uh, a really very good documentary. Um, I think it's still on Netflix. I don't know. But yeah, yeah it's I kinda, just saw it's kind of fascinating just watching the kids. Because the one kid is a they dickhead. Age. <laughs> and, like, we watched it. My friend uh, Travis was in town about a year ago, and Jamie and he and I sat and watched it. And we were like, the, the main guy is sort of a douche. Just didn't realize, I hope he's not listening to this, but he probably, <laughs> he's probably well, he just not. shut it off and deleted it. Well, screw these guys. Unsubscribe. Whatever, dude, we got the click. Um, so you already downloaded. It's too late. The, here's something I always. We went from eight to nine because of him. I always wondered, too, in the cave after he takes the little Millie Vanilli head and the boulder. <laughs> the Millie Vanilli head. I can't take credit for that. That was like a uh, American that's, Music Awards bit they did with funny. Mark Wahlberg or Donnie Well, Wahlberg. that's one of those nitpicks for me. The longer I've gotten from, or the older I get and when I watch it is going, there's no way that, that that sandbag, before he empties any of it out, weighs the same if that is solid gold. Yeah, that would be about 70 pounds yeah. of gold. But I always wondered when the boulder starts to come down, why he didn't just Run back about three feet where he started, and then... Then he would have been stuck in there? Would he have been? Yeah. That's um, how I read it. He got it. He had to get out because he needed to get out. That's what He had to was. get out of the way. Well, you realize, I mean, he launches himself out of that little cave entrance covered in cobwebs and dust. The, the and one thing I noticed this time, too, I notice it every time, but... Um, Right after he swaps the bag of sand over, and this is credit to one of my favorite humans that work in Hollywood, and I hope he's never shown his dick to anybody, because if he has to lose his job, I don't know what I'll do, but his name is Ben Burt. Oh, yeah. And his sound design, uh, that is, that's, honestly, that's my, I don't believe in dream jobs necessarily, but that but, would be the, yeah, the most fun job. He, is, he received a special Academy Award for sound effects editing for this movie. Yeah. I pulled that up. I kind of knew that this movie won five like Oscars, and I kept saying four because it was it won one that it wasn't mm. nominated for. Gotcha. So the the sound is right after Indy swaps the sandbag for the idol, and he looks up kind of like I did it, and he he tips his hat, and right. you can just hear it go like I love that. It's it's so it's so subtle and throwaway, but it it just adds an extra layer of of realism. 
yeah to the world because it's a real dude. He's not he's he has no superpowers uh, other than you know his intellect and just stick to itiveness. Kind of like he's kind of like John McClane, but he's I don't know, I love that. No, what I would love about the sound effects. There's two things that stood out that I that I kind of grabbed and wrote down for later is the two specific sounds that I love so much about this movie is regardless of what gun he's firing, Indy's, the sound effect is a recording of a 30-30 Winchester rifle. So it always sounds bombastic. It's just huge, larger than life. Yeah. Almost cannon fire, gunfire. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. And that's what his gun is, regardless of what gun he's using. So it was his gun. His sound. It was his sound. The other one was, um, this is the embellished uh, punching sounds come from yeah. Bert hitting a pile of leather jackets and baseball gloves repeatedly with a baseball bat. Huh. And those punch sounds are so awesome. See, it There's... sounds to me like he's smacking a ham with yeah. another ham. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's amazing. I love the sound effects in that movie. I saw one time, I don't know where it was or when it was, what channel it was on, but it was a documentary about, it was a short, like maybe on PBS, like a 15-minute doco about Ben Burt. And someone with a camera just followed him around the high valley, or the, sorry, the high desert, and he was just had a little DAT recorder yeah. on his hip, and he was just hitting shit. Guy wires, I remember him hitting guy wires, and that was part of the sound of a stormtrooper. Uh, cocking his bow. Oh, okay, yeah. And he did Jurassic Park too, didn't he? Uh, I don't know. Possibly. Because he, he was really good, uh, or still is, really good at blending a couple sounds together. Yeah, and creating. And that's the T the Rex roar was part lion and I believe part blue whale or something. Don't quote me on that. I know it was part lion. He's I also, got a cool job at Lucasfilm. I also, kind of like Jack Sparrow, you meet Indy a couple. You meet Indiana Jones three times. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. So though. you meet him in the jungle. Okay. And then you meet uh, Professor. You meet Henry Jones, which he's it's just his job five days a week, Is right? He, are, Monday, I always love when he Monday through Friday, nine to five. He's in that classroom, doling but, out homework and not understanding when girls are trying to have him. Yeah, when when I was a kid, I didn't grasp that as much, but I always loved his losing his train of thought when <laughs> yeah. the girl is. I'll get into the third introduction of him later when it, when that part comes up. But um, oh, my first my first note was. How fantastic is John Williams' score in this movie? Can you say, can't you say that about everything John Williams does though? No, the later he, the older he's gotten. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But his classic stuff. But his classic his stuff. Hits. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't research his history. I know that he had been a composer for years before he had come on and done like Jaws and kind of had that research. I don't know if it was a resurgence, but. He surged after that because he's he scored almost every single Spielberg movie. Sure, and there's only like a very small amount, like one. No, there's like two, at least two that I know of that Williams hasn't scored, and one was The Color Purple because he did Quincy Jones did that one. Okay, okay. Um, and recently, a couple years ago, he did that movie Bridge of Spies, and Williams did not score Bridge of Spies because Williams was working on Star Wars Episode Seven. That's where he should have been. Yeah, absolutely. And some movies are better than others, but this is probably in his top five. Absolutely. Like this and he's he's known for a lot of things. But if you were to like put together a top five like kind of pieces of music or movies that were his best, this is like number two or three. Play more than the first note of that. Da, 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 and every, that's all you have to do. And everyone knows that song. Yeah, it's a label. It's it's yeah. immediately labeled as that's Indiana Jones, and you can't not ever since he 
I mean, that's it's a well, it's a textbook example of the the score being a, not a silent character, but it, it's definitely not silent. But it's another character of the absolutely. film. Imagine take that out and watch that movie, and it would not be as rousing yeah. as without it. If you have the guy that did all the canon movies, did all their their half assed <laughs> John Williams scores. Have whoever the, whoever the composer was for Masters of the Universe, let's bring him in. He already tried to rip off. He already tried to rip off Williams when he did Superman. I mean. Perhaps That's probably is... my personal favorite score of anything because it hits on a like really young boy nostalgia level. Which one? Superman. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Of Williams scores. That's my personal favorite. Um, Whether or not you want to look at which one you think is better than the other, I don't know. I'm not a musician. I don't compose. When it just comes to what I like and what hits me on a gut level, it's the Su- French horn. Superman. It's, it's always the French hits horns. me. That's where it gets you. And I'm and it's just I don't think I can remove that. No, you, you know, that's that's why it's right. It's burned in your brain. Yeah, there you go. Um, as far as the pacing goes, I think by what today's quote unquote blockbuster pacing standards would be, I think it would probably be considered slow. Uh, but that's it, because I, people are more stupid now than they were thirty-seven years ago. Well, that's because I mean, and we're all guilty of it. But everybody sits there with their phone in their face. And so they're constantly being entertained. Mm-hmm. And so for them to put that down and just disconnect for two hours and just watch something, I mean, I struggle yeah. with a lot. I know a lot of people struggle struggle with that. And so whenever I'm watching something, I try to not have my phone in front I've, of me. I've been doing that as well. Well and, well, and I'll be honest with you. If I have it in front of me and I'm looking up something, I'm really not paying attention. And I'm hearing maybe 50% of what's going on. And then I'm having to go, hey, what's going on with this? And I stopped doing that. Now, Lisa, on the other hand, can, like, like absorb while she's in the room, while she's also, like, either playing a game or looking sure. at something on her phone or her tablet. I, I can't – I'm not like that. So I have to – You put all your of, focus on one thing. Yeah. The only time I have something out is when I'm taking notes for upcoming episodes kind of thing. The, it was just – it's another it, – it kind of goes back to that. There used to be – um, this crazy thing where you would allow a story to, you know, unfold, and you would you would meet a character organically, and their 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 character, their personality, whatever unfolds on camera, and you you get to know them, you know, within two hours, but you get to know that character in a I hate to say it's a more, per- it's a more it's personal, more personal. Way. Yeah. yeah, you don't just know, you know, you have to like this character, like you develop your own way of liking them. Or hating them. Well, and like certain movies that you love to watch and you just love how a, like a character has been introduced for the first time. Yeah. And like more recently, before season two of Stranger Things came out, mm-hmm. we rewatched season one again just to, you know, refamiliarize sure. ourselves because it's been a year. And I love Hopper's introduction as he's like <laughs> asleep on the couch in the morning and when he gets up. And he goes in like Jim like, Belushi, yeah, or I John mean, Belushi. I he's was... smoking, he's drinking like probably a half flat beer in like the in the shower, tossing back a chick with a pack full. Yeah, of pills. I mean he brush. I think I'm almost sure he brushes his teeth and then either <laughs> like washes it down with beer or rinses and spits out with the beer. And yeah. I'm like, that's disgusting. But that's such a creative way to introduce your character. You know, one of your one of your leads, and that's just. That doesn't happen very often. It was very cinematic that you don't normally don't see on like a TV show. Well, that's why that's why Netflix and Hulu and 
Amazon to a degree. All the, well, the streaming services. Netflix is the king, but that's why they're just slaughtering network TV because they're allowed, again, they're allowed to sort of be cinematic with the way you meet characters and the way stories unfold. Because, they're, 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 you know, this is the show we did. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, piss off. You know? Yeah. Lots of people like it, and lots of people are giving us $8 a month, and they ain't giving NBC yet. TLC. So, all right, here's, here's the... <laughs> Here's the kick in the dick question. What doesn't work about this movie? Uh, nothing. <laughs> and you know what's funny is you actually state kick in the dick. And that's one of the things that kind of I find funny that's a little bit like it, it's a curveball to the traditional hero. Uh-huh. Is because in like I have a couple of moments where like where Indiana Jones bucks the normal trend of what a hero would be because he's the quintessential like reluctant hero. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily want to. But when pushed, he'll definitely do the right thing. Uh-huh. And in that, one of my favorite scenes when he kicks the uh, ball. Well, let's just do it. What's your, what's your favorite okay, scene? My favorite you're... scene is the, uh, what is it? What do they call that plane? Delta wing. A delta wing. Um, the big, when, bald Nazi. When they find out they're going to fly that thing out of here, we're going to be on that plane before they even know it kind what? of thing. You know, it's like, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm so they decide they're like going to get on that plane. And <laughs> I just love the determination regardless of this is not going well. <laughs> I mean, things are a little going well, I and then that mechanic, this. that bald dude comes out, and he's going, yeah. and I'm almost certain that's probably not his voice, because I bet you that guy's British. <laughs> and so that's probably dubbed in some dude doing German. Sure. But my favorite scene is basically just his determination. He's uh, The flying wing is how they have it listed. Andy fights, sure. the, Andy fights the flight mechanic while trying to get on the plane, uh, it demonstrates, like, Michael Kahn, who is, like, Spielberg's editor for almost all of his movies, okay. just how masterful he is in building that tension Oh yeah, of just slowly getting to where this is not going well. Oh, my God, the all the fuel is running to the fires and everything just is slowly ramping up. And the fact that Indy has to keep defending himself and going back to that bald German He has to mechanic. keep ramming his face into that German's fist. Yes, and it's just when he just... And I, like, if I have to pull, like... And I don't know why, but if I had to pull, like, five seconds, it's right before... Um, it's right before Indy... Uh, no, I take that back. It's right before uh, he gets obliterated by the blades. Mm-hmm. It's when he hits him and hits him and hits him like... <laughs> fuck. Yeah, it's like yeah. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Oh, I made him bleed, but then he just hits him once more, and then just it's knocks like his ass in the dirt. Right? Yeah, that's that, that's one of my I, favorite parts too. Uh, I, every time I watch that, it gives me it gives me goosebumps. It gives me chills, and I don't know why because it's you know it's not because it's a, he's a he's a normal fucking history he's archaeologist, and he is he is fighting. A German pugilist, <laughs> two or three weight classes above him. I'm like, hold on, I'm gonna fight him. What are you under on, under a plane up after being trapped in a pit full of snakes for I don't know how long in the desert with a stupid leather jacket on again. Now that I think of it, and he's he literally throws everything he has at this dude except the kitchen sink, and it's still not enough. Thank goodness for the plane and its movement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what's great about that movie is, I mean, this is a PG movie, and there's not a ton of, like, bloody violence, and almost all of it happens off screen, and it's just that spray, 
It's all in your mind. Yeah. And so I love that. I love that type <laughs> of filmmaking because rather than showing you, oh, uh, it's just leave it to your imagination. Oh, folks. it was probably gross. It was probably worse than that. <laughs> um, that it kind of brings me to the best I could figure is what doesn't work because I'm most people that are listening to this or all of them probably know I'm. I've been diagnosed as a constant pessimist, so I always have to try to find something negative. Uh, the one thing that doesn't work for me, just a little bit, they had to do it, so it's excusable, it's passable, because they were homaging a genre, but Marion being the little damsel in distress. Now, it's her own damn fault, because she's a little spitfire, and yeah. she's a fighter. Right. Uh, she gets herself in over her head. She's, she's very much Indy's sort of parallel. Yes. Let me back up. You meet Indy for the third time right oh, after yeah. you meet Marion when you see his silhouette on the wall. Uh, larger than life. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie actually so pointed weird. that out to me uh, when we were watching it. We were, we were watching. She said, oh, that's a really cool shot. And I was like, yeah. by God, it is. And I've always thought that. It is a really cool shot. I never really thought about it myself. I always focus in that scene is afterward, like towards the end when they're fighting. And uh, Holt or whatever his name is goes, shoot them. Shoot them both. And he fires and kills whoever it is that cocks the machine gun yeah. and all you see is him getting obliterated by the, sh- and it's just a shadow. Yeah. You don't see, it's you, brilliant. Know, you don't see bill, you don't see bullet holes. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Spielberg's mirror, mirror trope, not right. trope, uh, his trademark. It's, you're seeing two things happen at once right. without having to cut away, without having to split screen. Or it's anything. efficient. It's, it's efficient and it's stylistic and it's, uh, it's perfect. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, if there is a heaven, I believe that this movie is playing round the clock in some theater somewhere where you can just choose to go in at any point and, and, and watch Raiders. But, the, but that's, that's the only thing that kind of doesn't work for me is Marion is kind of annoying or in the in like one, 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 to, one to three percent annoying. Just think for two seconds. She's about, making it a little worse. Yeah. She's exacerbating things for You're herself. You're making it worse. Please stop. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But... There's nah, there's nothing that doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there's so many notes that I put on here, but a couple of things is like when we first meet Marion, she's doing the drinking game, not drinking game, but there's a drinking contest. Yeah. Did you ever realize how many shot glasses are on that table? I kind of paused. <laughs> I really tried to count, but it was kind of hard. No. But there's there's over twenty. Okay, I was gonna say it was probably there's probably twenty two, twenty four shot glasses, and of course they're going so shot for shot. Two people, that's so at least at least yeah, eleven or twelve. But see that determination that she has toward the end of. I've always wondered: is that a man or a woman she's trying to out? I always wondered that myself. I um, think it's a dude, I think but it's there a dude. are some like that, that adds to her. There's some ad, not androgynous, but there's some tones where it's like kind of the touch of feminine features on his face that. Maybe it is a woman, but I don't think it is. I think it's I think a dude. It's, I think, I think it's she's a, the only female in that bar. Yeah, and which I, which adds to the strength of her character that she's surrounded by a bunch of men and can carry her own. She's the equal or superior of a lot of men in the movie, but a lot of times it's by blind luck. She just happened to get lucky that that dude just bit off more than he could chew. His liver is older than hers. You know, it's seen <laughs> more age. miles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what always bothers me is then all of a sudden, once everybody goes away, Indy shows up and then she's just sober. Oh, that's what I put down here. Marion recovers quickly after consuming that many shots. And then knocks the and, shit out of Indy. Uh-huh. Like, okay, you have to admit how they sum up Lawrence Kasdan. I really love some of his films that he's done and he wrote... He kind of adapted and wrote part of Empire Strikes Back, but he oh, yeah. was the yeah. screenwriter 
for the full like the full movie of Raiders Lost Ark and is that Kasdan such a does such a brilliant and economical job of summing up their history in four lines. It was just I've learned to hate you in the last ten years and then he goes, I've never meant to hurt you. She goes, I was a child, I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it and all he goes is you knew what you were doing. It's so it covers so much and I mean that's just really smart writing. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's acted and it's, out And it's well. real. It yeah. doesn't feel... It's like, I don't have to... We don't have to go into 10 minutes of us rehashing out why Indiana you... Indiana Jones uh, is sort of a petter ass. Why, <laughs> and she may or may not have been. Who knows? But yeah, regardless, it was... No, we can probably sum up the relationship in about four lines. Give me a second. I and got, then, and then she... It. Yeah. Well, it's, it's raw emotion. Right. And therefore, you get it. Yeah. You know? But summing up that history like that is just is great because it's you don't see that very often. <laughs> so these these two movies that we're doing today kind of are they get to be a, in in some ways above the normal criteria for these because there's I'm guessing not a lot we would change and not a lot that we think doesn't work. Yeah. But so for the magic wand question, if there was one change you could make, <laughs> what would you change? Uh, I. Did I even put anything down? Because I, I did. I have to double check because I may have written something, but I don't think I did. Um, I said I put absolutely nothing. I said, for me, this movie is perfect in every way. That's why it's my favorite film. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I and I have like in my top five, I'd list another movie and I could immediately go, I would remove that clip for something else. But this one, I couldn't think of anything. I would love to know. Your magic wand change. What is that? Nothing. I wouldn't. Change, <laughs> I wouldn't change a frame. What I what I put instead was uh, I would like to talk about my favorite scene, which is your favorite scene. Oh it's, yeah, it's the Delta Wing. Oh yeah. my God, that's funny. I had no idea. It's, well, it, it's that by itself. That's why it took those kids in that in that doco twenty odd years to make it because it it's so intricate and so much happens and you, you you're you're it's a microcosm of this movie. And he's a normal dude in a situation. Oh, shit. It turns bad really quick. He's in over his head. Marion's in trouble but for a second. And then she kind of holds her own and then kind of helps bail his ass out. And the cinematography is great. Right. The music is great. The pacing is great. There's, there's nothing that doesn't work. If I could make one change, I would <laughs> just for – and I, I do this a lot with these movies. I would go – I would like to see the cut, the full movie. I would like to see the entire movie as it exists with their original choice. To play Indy. <laughs> Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Because <laughs> I've seen a couple screen tests, and my God, does that look like a steaming pile, pile of, of poop. camel shit. <laughs> <laughs> However, you have to admit, though, you can understand where they were going, though, with wanting to have Tom Selleck. Well, someone that's kind of brash and kind of devil-may-care. And he was on the rise. And, sure, sure. You know, and... But he just looked like Panama Jack, dude, and he just... No, you're right. I wonder if he. I wonder if they would have shaved his mustache. No, I don't know. He's not Tom Selleck without that. He's like Samson. He doesn't cut have, off his mustache. He, ha- he has no power. <laughs> cut off his his stash locks. <laughs> I only did like three pages of notes for this because I can I could pretty well talk about this movie without notes, but yeah. I needed some guidelines. Indy's just he's a full on American male, uh, or he's full on American male tenacity, and he gives a hundred and ten percent, and he still gets his ass knocked in the dirt. Um, and he gets up. The only thing I think that's a big thing. He, yeah, he gets up, but he also in his back pocket he has his wit. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and I wrote here. I was I was a little buzzed by this point, and I said, <laughs> "For real though, that bald Nazi eat propeller, bitch." 
Um, and then for no inexplicable, well, it's, there's an explicable reason for it, but the next thing I wrote in my notes was Wilhelm scream. Yeah. That this, this is the movie where I learned. So, okay. Quick, quick backstory, quick history in 1991, um, Christmas, um, McDonald's ran a special where if you come in and you buy any regularly priced menu item food, like a, I'll hike, I'll take a number one. You could choose between one of three VHS movies, Raiders, Temple, or crusade. Right. Okay. I'm an only child. I have two parents. I said, "Mom, I've got a I've devised a cunning scheme. Let's all three of us go to McDonald's. You park the car. I'll go in, get a thing, and get a movie. Dad, you go in, get a thing, you get, get another movie. I will assign you titles. You do not worry about that. And then mom, you go in, you get the third one. And then boom, I've got the indie trilogy on VHS. Merry freaking Christmas. And that's what I did. And then I I've, I've watched those on semi loop ever since. And that's when I first noticed the Wilhelm scream. That's the thing that they, that's the same. That sounds familiar. That's the, that's the same thing. Uh, let me see here. There's a few, a few more notes of it here. Lisa always thought that Indy was being a dick when he laughs at Sala for mispronouncing Belloc's name. <laughs> I'm like, well, he's kind of a butthole for saying that. I was like, yeah, but it's two, it's two friends. It's two friends, but he, she, I don't know. It was just funny that I put that. I'm like, I remember when I was watching you. <laughs> Belloc. Belloc. Ah, man. Sala might be my favorite character in this movie because he's just like, he's just like this big, like, constant pillar of strength in the movie. Like, if Sala's around, like, shit might be going haywire, but it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. Because he's going to help bail you out or, you know. Because he's the best digger in he's, Cairo. He's the... One of the things that, knowing what our favorite movies are anyway... But uh, a repeated line in our house is usually, it's a date. You eat him. Because of how his pitch chink goes up and down. That's where he's a dick. Not making fun of... not making dates. Oh, to Marion? Yeah. He's not a dick when he's saying that to Solo. But he's saying that he's a dick when he says it to her. Okay. Uh, Another thing that I put down is like, Indy fantastically goes against uh, type. And rather than sword fighting, the... (laughs) He quickly disposes of his foe by straight up murdering his ass right in the middle of Market Square. Because he does. It's it's kind of that Han Solo. Do you know the trivia behind that? Oh, yeah. Okay. He had the... Uh, he had the dysentery. <laughs> they all had the uh, food poisoning and yeah. the... Uh, what, what I remember correctly was someone actually had either... They were talking about ways to get around it, what they were going to shoot... And crew heard and laughed and went, hey, this might work. Let's do it, too. And so, but do you know what was actually supposed to happen was I'd actually, like, pulled the information off of that one. It was, like, the famously improvised scene where Indy simply shoots the sinister-looking swordsman in the middle of uh, the Egyptian bazaar. Um, was born out of hellish shooting conditions, but... Um, like as originally planned, the scene included an elaborate gag involving Indy, the swordsman, and a nearby butcher. And the swordsman was to chase Indy through the bazaar. And just as he was about to cut down the archaeologist with a death blow, Indy ducks, causing the swordsman to mistakenly and conveniently chop the meat at the butcher's shop. Womp, giving womp. yeah, that would that w- it would have been stupid. It would have been stupid. Number one. Secondly, what's really funny is Lucas did not initially like. The I pull up my gun, bam! I mean that's probably one of the most. Yeah, George Lucas doesn't I, understand brevity. <laughs> and or so wit. I thought that was kind of funny because it was like, really, he didn't like that. That's dumb, George. You and just come up with it, the ideas and let Steven shoot it. And it was everything. a test screening that convinced him that it he played one. Because that's indie. Yeah, 
That's indie, and it would have taken it would have taken all the sting out of the Delta Wing fight. It, it, you've, you've got him fighting two people above his weight class in the same movie. What thirty minutes apart, and it would have been comedic and stupid. Instead, you get her running through the. That's plenty. That's plenty of slapstick. That is the smartest undercover monkey Nazi agent I've ever seen. Good too. God, yeah, that doesn't work for me a little bit. Now that you say that. <laughs> That's a little ghost in the machine. It was a little like... When it's Sig it's Hiles, all, meow, meow. It, Yeah, and that took forever, I guess, to shoot until they had oh, to have God. like a banana or grape or something above for him to actually get it. Like, this Don't work is, with kids or animals. Yeah, it was kind of dumb. So... <laughs> yeah, I, my, notes, my notes here get, uh, get uh, a little sketchy. <laughs> By this point, illegible. No, there's still, still the the writing gets bigger. This is definitely. I never really thought about it until I was rewatching it last this past week. There is a lot of alcohol consumption in this movie because it like Marion's intro is a drinking contest. Oh yeah. Um, all of the. Well, when Indy thinks she dies, yeah, he's he, he gets drunk again with. The when she's cap being held captive, then they drink this, this camel, camel pee. This camel pee, <laughs> it's my family. The um, so I tried. Uh, so my my favorite scene is my favorite scene. I don't really have a, a favorite line of dialogue, but it's that uh, when they take off or whatever, we'll be on that plane before it takes off or whatever. And they both look at him like, "What?" And he says, "I don't know. I'm making this up." As I go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. I always That's wondered if that line. was. I always wondered if that, if that was, was ad lib. Yeah. If it, it seems, was, it it's seems brilliant. like it was. It seems like it was. If it wasn't, it's great writing and it was executed perfectly. If it was ad lib, it just makes it even better. His hair's all mussed up and he's, he's like, uh, he's, he just looks. I don't know. I'm God, it's the, go. he had that look on his face like it's got to be three, four o'clock, right? Oh shit, it's only noon. Uh, I got four more hours of this. Right. You know, whatever. <laughs> Here's uh, another throwaway question: Does this movie still hold up? <laughs> actually, it does and. I find it hard to look at movies that don't hold up when the when the movie itself is a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a period piece, mm, absolutely. You know, and so it's specifically shot for 1936 or whatever. It's the 30s. Everything fashion is that time frame. When movies don't hold up when it comes to like technology or fashion, when they're so reliant upon it, it's usually movies that are taking place when they were when they're released right. in the mo- in that modern time yeah. or in that current time, and so that for me will sometimes pull me out of a movie. Sometimes for sure, it's got to be old enough for me to just not care. But I think sometimes there are like '90s films when you go back. And Die go, Hard with a Vengeance. Man, that's a huge monitor. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's a that is a let well, me dial into my fourteen point four you know K modem you know those those will sometimes pull me out and go. I, I sort of cut you off. Did you uh, do you have any trivia or any more trivia for this? Um, let me see here. Uh, when I was writing down notes, I was like, um, what I really liked before I even dig into any type of trivia was the fact that Indy again bucks the stereotypical hero and chooses not to immediately rescue Marion because he knows it'll compromise his mission. Yeah, because that is away. so smart. Because I mean. <laughs> You talk too damn much. You yeah. stay here for now. I will you, come, stay here. I will you come practically back and get got you. yourself killed by going. Indy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I love that because he's like, no. I was like, we got to. I know where it is now. They know that I'm here, and shit's going to get crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's that is not what you would normally see in this traditional action hero 
type role. He'd be no. there and he'd rescue whoever was captive. And then she would be in tow and then yeah. Sala would be in tow. And he's and... like, no, man. <laughs> no, you stay here. I'm, doing a hard, I'm, I'm having a hard enough time keeping it together with just myself. I, so I'd never seen this until I got said McDonald's VHS copy and a I was watching ago. it. And my until we yeah. go, yeah, it's just a great movie. Um, and my, got a VCR I can borrow. I was watching it right uh, for the first time, and my dad walked through and he goes, "Oh, this is Raiders of the Lost Ark." Now, bear in mind, my dad rarely watches a movie that doesn't feature John Wayne or someone with a cowboy hat on a horse. For me, knowing that my dad had watched Raiders, I thought it was really cool. But he said, "Oh yeah, there's a submarine in it later." I was like, "Shut up!" You know, they're in the desert. Where's the submarine in the desert? I'll bet you. Okay, sure, five dollars. Easy five dollars, Dad. Trying to screw with me. That was the first they time. Will never go anywhere else other than the desert. That was the that was the, the first time I lost a bet. The first time I bet, and the first time I lost. I learned a life lesson. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> now, did you know that they rented that submarine from uh, Wolfgang Peterson's Das Boot? No. Yeah, I guess um, a majority of this stuff was filmed in, I think, Pinewood Studios. Yeah, if I remember correctly, because I think that's where they filmed most of the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And so Lucasfilm just, hey, we're still shooting here, and they rented the submarine to save cost. So they just rented the submarine that was being used by Wolfgang Peterson's. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, that movie is pretty good. Das Boot. It's been a long time. Never it's seen it's it. a German film, and there's like a regular cut, and there's a director's cut, and it's oh, yeah, you know, no, so obviously yeah. it links right in. Like oh perfect time era <laughs> but they did it to cut costs i mean the interesting part in regards to the trivia about this movie is the fact that while spielberg had really his career really started to take off within the late 70s after doing jaws and close encounters is that uh even with all the movies that he had done he was still no he had he didn't have a great reputation only because he was always going over budget or uh. he was going over schedule jaws did that i think close encounters did that he ended up doing that again with it's at 1941, which came out in, like, I think, 79 or 80. Is that like the National Lampoon movie? It's a National Lampoon movie. Uh, he spoofs himself Dan in Aykroyd. it? It's got uh, John Belushi. John yeah, Belushi. there's a Jaws spoof at the beginning of it. Yes, there's, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, he does spoof himself. It's been a while since I've watched it. And it's got a bit of a cult status now, but, I mean, it was it was, yeah. it was not a, much of a box office success. It was not a critical success. Uh, and so when uh, him and Lucas were sitting, you know, building sandcastles in Hawaii and deciding to do Indiana Jones because, you know, he wanted to initially do a Bond movie and he'd been turned down a couple of times or at least once, possibly a second time later on in the 80s, Cubby Broccoli said, nope, sorry. Could you imagine now? I'm like, would you want to watch a Spielberg do a Bond movie and at age 71? Yeah. You know? I, I would just to see what he would bring to it. I'm not I a would, huge Daniel Craig fan. It would if never I'm being happen. honest, man. Well, that's another time for another episode. That's, yeah, it is. Anyway, I would have loved to see him do a Bond movie, but I'm also glad he didn't because it gave him the opportunity well, yeah. to do this. Because that's basically, well, hold on here. I know you I want do to my do own Bond, damn Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah. what? You want to do your Bond movie, but hold on. Let me uh, let me tell you something here. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's digging in the sand somewhere. It's like, what do you think about an archaeologist? Well, you don't got me yet, George. Keep going. Well, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and then later, we find out James Bond is his dad. <laughs> yeah. We'll bring James Bond in eight <laughs> years later as his dad. But, I mean, I love how there are elements of that. All of the... Um, all of the indie movies kind of end with a previous adventure that have that, you know, pre-credit sequence. Yeah, it's kind of like a Bond movie. It's kind of like a Bond yeah. movie. He's probably smarter to a degree than Bond as well. Uh, 
you know, I feel like Bond is Oxford educated, so he's yeah. whatever, a lawyer or. What's <laughs> that? Well, so I wrote down here. This is Indy once again goes against character type during the uh, the fight at the flying wing scene. He knows that the mountain of a man standing before him is gonna is going to totally destroy him. So he plays a trickster instead and flat out kicks him square in the balls. <laughs> 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 plays I mean, a trickster. I, I mean, but yeah, I mean, he looks down. I mean, that's what it is, you know. He looks down at the dirt, like, what is that? Whack! Didn't he, didn't he throw sand in his face as well? A little later, like he's a dirty, scene. he's a dirty fighter. He is a dirty fighter, legitimately. So I but mean, so he's was having Bond. His, but Bond he's was having too. His, well, and and he's having his ass handed to him. I can't blame him for grabbing sand and throwing it in yeah, the guy's life or face. Death. Yeah. Say I cheated. I don't care. I'm alive. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that's what I can't. I'm not. I'm not a violent person but i do i do enjoy the indie punching people no i enjoy the comic violence of nazis dying in funny and creative ways yeah like i always kind of fist pump when that last nazi gets run over by the truck and he goes like his arms and legs both go up is that not truck sequence is amazing yeah that's probably like top five favorite action sequences ever filmed is that and i always wondered when he's sitting here pulling these like the the grill, the grill. Yeah. I I always wondered that as a kid, and then even now as an adult, I'm like, is he thinking I'm trying to pull myself up, or is he like I'm screwing this because I'm going down under the truck and coming back, and it was premeditated. I've always thought which he's way, trying to which pull way. himself up. That's what because you kind of get the a, logical way, but it just feels like they break so easy. You get a sort of a pre-mirror of that at the beginning with um, Dr. Octopus when he jumps across the chasm there in the cave in Venezuela and he grabs that little root and then he gets that, oh, that okay. look of, uh, what's his name? Sapito. Uh, Alfred Molina. Yeah. I always hate how they pronounce his name, how it is actually written is it's Sapito. Sa- but they always Sa-tipo. say, but they actually say Sapito. That's another weird Adi- thing. And I've never Adios, been able to pull that, but you pull that up, but you, every time I hear it, it's, but no, yeah, he that. he jumps across that chasm and grabs that root, right? Which I think is kind of a not a gun in the first act kind of thing. But he's always trying to pull himself up. He's not trying to go under the truck. So oh. you're just you're just wrong. <laughs> oh, this is this is a funny thing that I wrote down. I'm like, this will be an interesting discussion. Do you think there's an alternate universe where there's a film franchise series featuring Rene Belloc, the French archaeologist? <laughs> And his arch nemesis, Indiana Jones. Right. This is where we watch over four films his fall from grace to his eventual doom partnership with the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess uh, at the end of this one, Hitler would have him in, you know, back to Berlin and haul him into the office and ball him out for. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah, you let Jones. A Jewish ritual? <laughs> Look what it cost me. You melted the faces of all these really good Gestapo. If only that would fodder. work. This would see this would be his fourth film though. Because this would he, be Belloc's fourth film. Yeah. Because his head explodes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He dies at the he, end. He does die at the end, so the wrath the wrath of God as uh, Rene Belloc and the Wrath of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what now you call that it. Is an, now that is an episode. <laughs> We normally like trilogies, but we'll go with the fourth film on this one. Uh. Oh, man. Uh, let me see here. Oh, I always thought that um, Indy's like, motive was a little irrational when he grabs the bazooka and threatens you know, to blow up the Ark because he just wants Marion. He's going to blow up everything. I mean, 
Like, was was it really irrational, or was it just to get close to Marion because he, you know, he wanted to protect her, and he knew that he was going to get captured, so he could be there to keep her from opening her eyes, basically, <laughs> at the end. Because I wonder, I, I've always, I never, I never thought about it that way until I was watching it this last week. Going, I've never okay, thought. Okay, was he that dumb? Because I don't see him going because well, he's the big guy of well, it belongs in a museum. I don't see him irrationally like I'm going to blow this up because all I want is the girl. You know, yes, he wants the girl, and no, he's not going to blow it up. And I think he was going. I think he was at his wits' end. I think he he's was like, I'm tired of this. I think he was going to cut his Marian. nose off to spite his face. Yeah. I want to get Marion, and I want to get the hell out of here. I think he was going to blow them all up. Either give me the girl, or I'm going to kill everybody did in, you, this, in this mother. Did you ever notice right during that scene? The fly that crawls into Belloc's mouth. I right just read. A, I read a thing about your, that the other day. Your persistence surprises even me, and I'm like, dude, he just swallowed a fly. Like when Ted Cruz ate that booger. On right. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a thing uh, the other day where the guy that played Belloc, and I don't know his name. Um, I had something. William. He said that it actually didn't. It crawled down and then and then flew off. Paul Freeman. That Paul was Freeman. That's right. Uh, Whatever, dude. You ate. It looks like you. I thought it added a sweet bit of realism because. Yeah, I figured that was in the shot. It looked like he. I like, mean, I figured it was fly. a mistake because how do you train a fly to do that? But I, I no, assumed he, it was. Well, oh, do you see that? I'm going to leave that in. That, that had such an extra, unintentional layer to the realism of the scene, and it does. But it wasn't obviously intentional. Watching it the other day. Yeah, because when I put down plot points and pacing on my list, it's like this film hardly seems to waste a frame of footage. I mean, no, not one. <clears throat> does it suffer from anything? Not in my opinion. It suffers from kids who didn't grow up on it. It suffers from those who didn't see it when it f- was first kind of released because they're used to a a more erratic and fast paced and get to the punchline. I I have other things to do and mm-hmm. I need to post on Twitter and Facebook and I want to get my story told and be done with. I love stories that take their time and this film it takes its time and it not, it doesn't feel like it's dragging me down at all. No, never. It's one one very necessary scene plays out perfectly right into the next very necessary scene. Yeah, the only time you get to catch your breath is when Indy's catching his breath on the Bantu wind, the, the ship, the pirate ship, or mm-hmm. not ship. I don't know if it's pirate ship or I don't know if they're pirates, but on that ship, you know, and like, yeah. it takes me to one of my few favorite lines in the movie. It's like, you're not the man I met 10 years ago. It's it's not the uh what was it and i can't even get it right now i can't get it right either it's not the years it's the mileage (laughs) and it's so brilliant and so succinct and just so perfectly delivered and just there's not a lot to it it's just boom i'm just old i'm older than i used to be i'm I'm older than i used to be and it's not the years it's the mileage there's a lot of years on this car that's going to run me into my final thoughts on it which are completely ad-lib because i'm out of notes at this point (laughs) um i probably watch raiders uh, probably once a year. Right. Uh, I usually get in a, a jag of, I watch Raiders, Temple, and, and Crusade. Just to note how different the three are. Raiders is the best of the three, obviously. Uh, but it's like... Yeah, Last Crusade is a close second, in my opinion. But that's absolutely. just me. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a better it's, film. It's than, the opposite of right. Star Wars, where the, the middle one is the worst one. for. Right. You know what? No, I, I can't say that. The middle one is not the worst well. one, but I mean... Of the three, it's... Temple the, is the bottom of the totem... Of those three. Yeah. Um, Since we won't mention the other one. There's only three Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> and 
<laughs> it's just it's, it's it's inspiring to me in several ways. I'm a very very shitty writer, and no one will ever read my stuff because I won't ever let anyone read it. But it's one of those where you sit down and it makes you kind of puts you in a good space, makes you kind of want to be creative, and it makes you appreciate the art of filmmaking and the art of taking time with something. And I've never been an actor, but watching the the people, especially Harrison Ford, who has played a myriad of people over the last 40 years, uh, or characters, rather, over the last 40 years. He clearly was having fun with it. And yeah, uh, they're all having fun with it. I mean, they're at the, I mean, that's one of the things I put in me. Apart put, from the dysentery, they were having right. fun with it. <laughs> Outside of the food poisoning, yeah, that was one of the other bits of trivia was apparently Spielberg was one of the only ones that didn't get food poisoning because he ate, whenever they were shooting out in Tunisia or wherever it was, everything that he got, he was drinking um, bottled water. It's like Arnold. And, you know, in its early 80s, bottled water is not as common as you would see it today. Oh, yeah, no. You know, I don't <clears throat> I don't remember them selling much in regards to bottled water back in the 80s like they do now. But, I mean, all he did is he ate that and he ate from tin cans. He ate from – all his food was shipped from Britain. Everything was out of the case in the tin can, and that's the reason why he was the only one that didn't get sick. But, no, Raiders – like, like I put it here, like, Raiders is the apex of, like, the action-adventure cinema you know it's like there's really i don't see there's much else in my opinion that tops that action adventure stereotype no it marries it marries the pair it's solidified it's solidified harrison ford as a bonafide movie star you start to get that feeling by 81 you're into two episodes of the three story arc of star wars correct and so you now have two iconic characters han solo and Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford's like, see you guys later. Um, <laughs> also, I was going to ride was, this success to the bank. I was Decker too. You know, I was Decker too. But a lot of people didn't look at it like that at that time. No, no, not at all. And so, oh, I mean, it, maybe it did. I don't know. I was, <coughs> I, I was born that year. <laughs> I mean, Steven Spielberg as like the Hollywood boy wonder director who could do no wrong. Again, still kicking ass. And George Lucas as the creative genius money man. You know, who was just beginning, like, to build this, like, entertainment conglomerate ginormous empire. <laughs> it's not a romance movie. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not a romance movie. It's an action adventure that has some romance elements to it. Sure. And so it's just kind of like that perfect, like, 10-year-old boy movie that you would want to show. In- like, my side note was, like, I've discovered, though, however, that if you let George Lucas... Hold on to something too long, he will eventually ruin it. <laughs> I mean, he kind of ruined he's Star like, Wars. He's like Lenny. Not everything needs to become the next big franchise, and so by selling Lucasfilm, he's let go of that intellectual property and helped pave the way for newer, fresher, possibly better storytellers to get their chance. You know, to to have that new vision. But he's given it. To, he sold it to Disney, and they are going to drive that to death. They're gonna they're gonna do to Indy and Star Wars far better than Lucas would have done, and it'll take longer for them to do it. But they're gonna do it like uh, Maddie's horse from True Grit. They're gonna, oh. they're gonna drive them both to a frothing death. We're gonna ride this into the ground. <laughs> the and, yeah. The new thing we're doing in season two of this. Could you recommend a better or equal movie? Uh, with the same theme or genre, I have I have three titles that I would recommend. Okay, go. we've already talked about one of them in the first season. Okay, what? Big Trouble in Little China is kind of that oh. full encompassing. Sure. 
reluctant hero thrown into trials. Right. Yeah. Um, you do your if you want to go old school, I'd say like Treasure Sierra Madre. Okay. <clears throat> um, that's an old John Ford film with um, Humphrey Bogart, and it's darker. But I mean, it has much darker tones. It's not as a uplifting by the end. That was awesome. I mean, you kind of see the depravity of man in that. But there's that treasure-seeking adventure. You know, we don't need those stinking badges. <laughs> you know, we don't. You know, that's all of that from Treasure Sierra Madre. Um, the only other one that I would probably recommend that's kind of similar in tone would have been Romancing the Stone. Oh yeah, those are good. Um, the first one's good. The first one's good. I, I've seen the second it's one. Jewel of the Nile. I think so. One? I've seen the second one once and went, why did I watch this? The, but I can, I consistently go back to Romancing the Stone because it has a lot yeah, of those elements. I forgot about that. <laughs> the the one I would recommend only... Um, I'm I've, still curious what you're going to say, and I may immediately agree with you, but I'm just not thinking of it. They're canon movies? Oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't tell me. <laughs> the Adventures of Alan Quartermain. No. I even wrote down here, I said, a movie that will try to make you think it's just like Indiana Jones, King Solomon's Mines. <laughs> They're terrible. I said, but don't be fooled. It's a piece of garbage. I probably rented it once and was sorely disappointed with Sue. <laughs> you know, the literary Alan Quartermain may have partly inspired Indiana Jones. Unfortunately, this film stars Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> and Sharon Stone. And Sharon Stone. And they're, they're terrible, but they're canon films, so they're good terrible. You know? Right. <laughs> those, are, um, those are my final thoughts. Do you okay. have anything else super final? If you could recast the lead. Um because it was like, it can be twofold. Because, man, when I went through, care to know, uh, all the other actors, minus the one that you already know, were in possible talks to be playing Indiana Jones. We already know about Tom Selleck. Mark Harmon. Ew. Michael, Michael Bean. Okay, um, I could see him. I could kind of see him. Sam Shepard. Oh, what is it? The right stuff. He played... Uh, oh, Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager, thank okay. you. Okay. Um, Bruce Boxleitner. Ew. Don Johnson. Ew. And the last but not least, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> David Hasselhoff was actually in contention. As a in Nazi. Con- like- as, no, <laughs> as Indiana Jones. Okay, other possible contentions for Marion were Jane Seymour. Mm. Eh, no. Deborah Winger. Nah. Mary Steenburgen. Valerie Bertinelli. No. Sean Young. She was in the screen she was test. In, she yeah. was in Blade Runner, too. And she, yeah, she was in the screen test with um, Tom Selleck. I think that was their initial That's going. right. Sean Young was in that screen test with him. Oh, get this. Barbara Hershey <laughs> and Dee Wallace. Dee Wallace. Elliot's mom from E.T. I, mean, I see. Really, I, go, I go Cujo. There's one other casting choice for Sala. <sighs> ben Kingsley. No, that would have been actually kind of good. But he was doing probably Gandhi at the I'm time. I'm sure he was doing Gandhi. Well, who, um, who was it? Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of had, he ran into the same restrictions that Tom Colin Selleck, because of Taxi, yeah. he ran into the same restrictions. Thank, he couldn't. Thank heavens. <laughs> that would have been terrible. Bad dates. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie. Um, if I had to cast it in current, like modern times, current times. Yes. I honestly, I would put Chris Pratt in the role. Okay. If you've seen like the most current Jurassic Jurassic world, things. yeah, and I would put Emma Stone as Marion. I know you don't like. No, I love Emma I like, Stone. No, I mean I, I love them both. I love just, Emma Stone too. But I, 
That's how I would have cast it. But honestly, if they ever go, we're going to keep redoing Indiana Jones movies and we're going to uh, recast the role, they're probably going to pick an unknown like they're doing for like the Han Solo stories. Most Which is likely. what, yeah. That's yeah. probably wiser. Absolutely. But it's a go-to. I just get sucked in and I don't realize and then 15 minutes have gone by and I've watched, you know, a third of the movie. Sure. I love that movie. I love it more than any of the other ones. Top Men. Men. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark right. is a love letter to Saturday morning serials, a genre, yeah, and a the theme. 30s and 40s. The, the movie that I've chosen is my favorite. The movie that chose me to be my favorite movie is a love letter and an homage, to but also a, a different, A different kind of movie. You'll see what that is next. From the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Sky means business. Ah! Young Frankenstein. Oh dear, nothing left. What shall we throw in now? Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Peter Boyle as the monster. <laughs> Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Loris Leachman as Frau Blucher. You played that music in the middle of the night? Yes! To get us into the laboratory? Yes! And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find? Yes! So that I would... Yes! Then you and Victor were... Say it. He was my boyfriend! Terry Gar as Inga. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Kenneth Mars as the inspector. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Where am I? Calm down. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Listen, I, I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Storm your castle! I'm smuggling! Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. Yep. Young Frankenstein. No offense. There is. I don't take anything too seriously. (laughs) However... Dude, I seriously, I watched, I watched Blazing Saddles again not, not long ago. I don't mind it, but man, you they, can't really. They bust the N-word out a lot, dude. And I get it. They were it's trying to. Prior, de- prior was one of the I know, I know. I know. I know. No, I get it. It's, it's, not, it's not the same movie as it was 15 years ago. The first time I saw it, I was in high school. The first time I saw Blazing Saddles, I was 10. <laughs> my mother rented it. I was going to say, my dad said, sit down, son. We're going to learn about life. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> this isn't uh, this isn't about Blazing Saddles. This is uh, <laughs> about my favorite movie, Young Frankenstein, uh, which as we as we mentioned earlier is uh, a straight up love letter and basically a remake of the 1931 Universal classic, which is what most people I think most people regard. When you say monster movie, they instantly think of Frankenstein. They think of Frankenstein. They think of like Dracula. Possible, yeah. No, those two. Maybe Mummy. I don't and know. The Wolfman. I think and those Wolfman. All, and I think the Invisible was, Man. I think Wolfman may have been a little bit later, but yeah, like Dracula, Frankenstein. Those are like those are your monster movie. Those are the Rushmore of monster movies. Would be like Frankenstein, That'd Dracula, be a cool Funko statue, like the monk, the Mummy, and the Wolfman, or something. Yeah, because yeah. you couldn't do the Invisible Man because you can't see him. <laughs> He's the fifth one. You just don't see it. I don't He's see the it. the fifth one. You just don't see it. <laughs> um, kind of like, like Spielberg and George Lucas, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, kind of from a, a slightly older generation. Right. Um, they grew up on the, the Universal movies. Yeah. And I remember seeing Mel Brooks talk about, he just, he loved Frankenstein. He was like that. It's hard to, to go back to in your head because we were never fully of that generation. Right. All you had was the movie theater on Saturday. But they were just in awe of the movie, Frankenstein. And have you watched when was the last time you watched like old school Frankenstein? Oh, it's, it's, I can't even say it anymore. It's been this is, <laughs> It's that grappa. I'm <laughs> not really Oh, it's been a while. It's yeah. Really, I have that's one of the few that I have. I have Dracula and I have Frankenstein um in my collection. But I mean just looking at the, just the black and white cinematography is phenomenal. Oh, not that we're talking about Frankenstein, but I mean you can see like how much they loved that that tone that tone and yeah. what we're going with it and it may be stupid and funny and brilliant in a lot of ways but I want it to look as classic oh and it does yeah it I does. mean the only scene that really stands out is like in the putting in the on school. the Ritz no actually no that one at least still feels like same era the okay. only time to me that it feels like we're in nineteen was it seventy four seventy four in nineteen seventy four is in uh, in the classroom uh-huh. because you see the students and a few of them have mullets and seventies mustaches. See, I always that's the only time that it feels like this was in the seventies. That to me, that's the only time it feels. It doesn't pull me out, but it makes me aware. No, to me, it, it doesn't pull me out either. It adds a, a neat layer to the film for me I, that I can't even articulate. It's kind of the way, I, the kind of the same reason I like British uh, television. It's because it it doesn't look it's from the, Britain. Well, it doesn't look the same as American TV. It looks like you're not supposed to be watching it. It looks like like a fly on the wall kind of. No, like this is like no the, one should be watching it. No, it looks oh. like it's this is the demo. Like this is what we want to do, and we shot it on shitty video. Okay, this is what we want to do. If you give us the money, we'll, we'll make it look better. We'll make it look better, and they that's just what the, went with the. Prototype yeah, the, instead. The classroom scene kind of feels that way for okay. some reason to me. That I can't. I can't fully articulate because i've had a lot of beer today <laughs> and some of your greek camel pee over there hey you had one swig i still have something in here and i Ugh. i'm kind of um, strong stuff uh I was, my first note when i started watching this i wrote down like it took testicles the size of matzo balls to push the studio into releasing this film in black and white. Well, so they took it to, I don't know if I've got it in my notes Because back here. in 74, you didn't shoot something in color and then change it. So it had to be shot in black and white. Yeah. You know? But we'll see. No, they wanted him. 20th Century did this. And I can't remember the studio originally that they Universal? were with. No, <laughs> no those are Universal. Oh, that'd be ironic. But yeah. Um, 
he told them they wanted to go. Mel Brooks said they wanted to go in black and white. This is a bit of trivia. And they said, okay, well, how about you shoot it on color stock and we'll release it in black and white? And he said, no, I know Dude, you're, you're going to. Have gonna... you seen set pictures when they're in color? It's I've got bits weird. about that later. Yeah, okay. Um, it's so weird seeing that. He said, I'm not shooting it on color stock because I know what you're going to do. You're going to screw me and you're going to release it in color and it's going to take all that romanticism away. Right. And they said, no. And he said, well, screw you then. And he took it to 20th Century, who had just gotten Alan Ladd Jr., had become the president, and he was all for it. And they shot it on black and white and released it on black and white. And that's why it works. Not, that's that's but, one of the reasons that's why it works. one of the reasons it works. Yeah. Um, I'll just screw it. I don't care. I'll skip ahead. One of the things that I, I always noticed as a kid on the back of the uh, VHS was that there was a picture of Peter Boyle, like at the window or whatever, and he was blue. And just being some dumb 80s kid, I wanted, like, why the hell is this in black and white? I want to, I want to see it in color like they it. released a, it in original. Yeah, that's a really cool blue. I want to see that. But it, it didn't take long for me to not, to not care. Just let because, it go. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the bit behind that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, G, this was Gene Wilder's idea originally. Uh, and he wrote the screenplay and, for himself, well, obviously. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for sure. They both tell, they both wrote it, but it was his idea, and then he and Mel Brooks both wrote it. You can see it was a love letter because he, yeah. it's like he knew where he needed to hit his notes, and it's just so spot on perfect. No one else could play that role. No one. I that's we're already going to hit that point right now. If you had to recast the movie. I I did not I couldn't recast it. No, I, I put it in here. I, I I'm always going to do this. Um, did you? Because I couldn't. I couldn't think of anyone else off the top of my head that could have played this either I, either at the at that time <laughs> or or current day. I had to make sure. Uh, yeah, I put. Um, if I was going to recast the the lead in this, who would I cast? Uh, no one really. But just for fun, eh, mid seventies, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Life. Life. Do you hear me? Life. <laughs> Give my creation life. <laughs> no, he's dead. Ah, what the hell? That's a shitty Burt Reynolds impression, but you yeah. pictured him, right? No. It was enough. You didn't Shit picture didn't. Smokey in, no. in the Bandit? No. Anyway. I didn't picture Smokey or the Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> um, by Mel Brooks standards, this is a subdued parody. Yes. Which I think has a lot to do with Gene Wilder being... 50 the co-writer, fifty yeah. percent of it. Yeah, they got into a couple fights, or at least one big one. It was the putting on the Ritz, right? Uh, okay, who? Oh, Gene Wilder Gene wanted it. Mel didn't. Right. Okay, I do think I remember hearing about that at once, and that was like Gene fought for it so hard. Mel said, "All right, it's in. All right, it's in." Okay. What do you mean? It's yeah. just like that? He said, "Yeah, I wanted to see how hard you would fight for it." And to me, honestly, that's that's one of my least favorite parts of the movie. Absolutely. It, There's so many others that, that comes out. That, that I mean, that's not a. I would remove this from the movie. No, it's not at just. All. I'm indifferent to it. It's not. It doesn't make or break it. I know a lot of people would say see that as like the top five pinnacle points of the film itself, and I'm just like, eh. well, it's kind of like you said. It's kind of like the classroom scene. Yeah, it's the one thing that pulls you out of that, out of the castle, yeah. out of the laboratory. Yeah. yeah. As a kid, I liked it. Yes, as a kid, I liked it too. I would sing but it, but I and moved all that. past. I that. didn't get it, and it's nothing. It's nothing. There's nothing to get other than it's just it's absurdity. Okay, let's go back to the classroom. Okay. Do you think that Frederick actually need that old man in the balls? A mother grabbing bastard. I I don't think he I, did. I don't think he did either. But it always threw me. I'm like, did you? Did he actually need him in the balls? Well, actually, he did. I think I think the character did. Maybe son of a. <laughs> You know, because I, I, he pulls the clamp off, and then the dude... And then they go... Oh, oh you know, no, but, you know what? He's playing it up. 
He's playing it because give him an extra dollar. Extra <laughs> dollar, yes, sir. But what always made me think, did he actually do it? Is because when he was pulled away on the gurney, he's like, Ooh. Oh. But it never really looked like he made a connection. Yeah, and, like he you know, pulled knee it at the last nuts. second. <laughs> I didn't see the knee to nuts connection. Knee to nuts. <laughs> I didn't see it. I, it just felt, to me, watching it, it just looked like it was a show. Pro wrestling move? Yeah, the pro wrestling move. Um, this is but, a- and I'm jumping. I don't know what you have or don't have on your notes regarding this, but I looked back and went, why didn't it win? And then I looked and went, oh, that's because the Godfather 2 <laughs> was the same year. And I'm like, okay, I can't see the Academy going, let's give it to Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. <laughs> for their we, fart joke movie. For their fart joke movie. I'm sorry, what? Godfather 2 is an entirely different category. Absolutely. And it's, but, and it's uh, a brilliant film, and we'll at some point and probably honestly, talk about that. Be, but I, I but that's for, what threw me off when I looked at it. I'm like, this is just so creative and and brilliant in in that respect. I'm like, why didn't it win? And I look back, I'm like, oh, that's because it was, it was fighting a, with it was Francis a, Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo. It was a different America. It was a different, <laughs> it was a different America in 1974. They... It's it's funny you mentioned that the uh, I kind of equate their creative process sort of as a uh, Steven Tyler Joe Perry or a Mick Jagger Keith Richards or a Lennon and McCartney without they both keep the other in check right without Gene Wilder Mel Brooks is just it's it's more fart joke and more <laughs> womp womp and without Mel Brooks. You get the adventures of Sherlock Holmes' younger brother or smarter brother, whichever. Which oh, is, you know what? I agree with that because yeah, like you were, we were talking. He about He takes before. himself too seriously. He takes himself not seriously enough. They they blend perfectly in this movie. Uh, it's like the well, it balances perfectly between the, the comedy and the love note. Right. They both have their strengths, and they both they they both mix perfectly here. And not not to take away anything from any of the other players that they're ad libbing and they're. Their performance, which I noticed that as I went through and reread my notes, I was like, I didn't mention Marty Feldman once. I didn't mention Cloris Leachman once. I didn't mention Terry Garr once. I think I wrote down, I'm like, Marty Feldman has such an expressive face. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I mean, because he wears that hood almost for the entire film. And then I realized when I was rewatching it, I'm like, oh, he actually doesn't wear it when putting on the Ritz scene and he's playing the, he's playing piano. the piano. Yeah. And I completely forgot that. His, just his eyes are so enormous. To begin with, yeah, but they look ten times the size of what they should be when he's wearing that hood. Yeah, exactly. Damn your eyes! Too late. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> I figured when I looked up, uh, just I can. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't look up the name of the cinematographer, but I want to pull up IMDb just to go who shot the movie as their director of photography and what else they did. They did other stuff with Mel Brooks. Yeah. He was not known necessarily for black and white. And I figured <clears throat> he would have gotten someone that was like the apex, the pinnacle, the like ultimate sure. DP black and white. that did, yeah. that did black and white. And instead, he wasn't necessarily known for that. But it was lit perfectly for it. It was lit perfectly for it. And no, and that's what I put down here is I'm like, the cinematography was absolutely stunning. And that's when I went back and looked and went, I figured maybe he did a fair amount of monster movies from like the 40s or 50s and he didn't. And so that's what threw me off was he didn't pull someone from that era going because that's what I would have done or at least that's my thought process is I would have said, Get me like the key players. Yeah. 
But you also got you got to think yeah. like you also work with someone that knows you and how you work. And knows it was your also 1973 when they were probably filming it, and who knows how many of them were actually still alive too. Sure, it's it only possible. took uh, 54 days to shoot this movie. Wow, that's that's a fairly short yeah shooting schedule. They got actually they they started to wrap up early, and everyone started to get really sad because they were having such a good time. So they wrote some additional scenes. And extended it for a week or whatever. Do you know what any of those additional scenes? I don't. Were like, oh, it didn't. It didn't curious. say. Um, I what do know. Where you're like, I love that. I'm glad that they wrote those extra scenes to do that. But um, it's, in regards to pacing, again, by today's standards, it's probably dismally slow. But no, but it's like, it's but like it's 94 it's, minutes or something like you, that. You it's get like, you go you go from where you are to where you need to go to. There's no there's no dawdling. It, at, at this point in my life, I, I'll bet you. I would bet you everything I own that I've seen this movie 40 times, at least 40 times. I think I wrote down once where I was I was like, God, you know what? None of the jokes, they don't linger. No. They just move on. Yep. So there isn't that family guy, Peter Griffin, bang my knee. Ah, and then yeah. they stick on it for, you know, 30 seconds. Nope. There isn't the... Like the Arrested Development season four, where we're going to run this joke into the ground because we don't have a creative <coughs> editor to come in and go, you know what? Let's pull this back about twenty it's, seconds. So it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, the original cut of this movie uh-huh. was twice as long. Good lord! Man. And it was a dismal. They considered it a dismal failure. I would consider it a dismal failure. Failure if I'd had to watch a three-hour version of. Young I would Frank love to watch a three-hour. version It would be of on a like a morbid curiosity standpoint. Absolutely. Now I would love to go. What did they cut out? A bunch of jokes that didn't work. That's what they cut out. <laughs> they went in with the editor and they and cut said, it down. All through. right, we need you to take out what doesn't work. Uh, I trimmed it down. <laughs> What's our running time? Two hours and forty-five minutes? No, ninety-four minutes. <laughs> Which is that's a perfect length for a movie, for, especially for a comedy. Yeah, especially for comedy. This most is, comedies don't. Most comedies work better in that ninety, maybe hour forty five minute mm-hmm. time frame. Mm-hmm. You go f- any farther than that, most comedies don't last. You don't usually find a comedy that's over two hours on average. Where you where you look at it completely, perfectly. Like Judd Apatow is a perfect example of that. Yeah. His comedies are over two hours sometimes and they're funny but there's a lot of lingering where you're like he could have trimmed 30 minutes out of that they went they went back and brought the editor in and he cut it he cut it down and they i think it was he cut like 75 percent of the jokes out like for they said for every joke that worked three fell flat no and that's probably true but that's that's the yes the law of averages that's the law of averages and also you have to realize that the cream rises to the top Mm mm-hmm and you have to accept the fact that the really good stuff will stay. And it and will if work. if it doesn't work and it doesn't stay, then they'll take it's it out. It's kind of the Michael Jordan philosophy. How many shots did he take? How many did he make? You yeah. Know? The, the DVD copy that I have has across the top the funniest comedy of all time. And I don't agree with that. I don't think it's the funniest comedy. Of, I don't, it's, this movie defies genre for me. Because it's kind of a monster movie. Kind of a period piece. It's kind of an homage movie. It's and, kind of a comedy. Right. It's to me, this is my favorite movie. Because it hits on multiple so levels. So yeah. many, yeah, so many levels. And it's it's hilarious. It's funny. That's a lot funny. of the hilarity that I tend to laugh at are ones that are the jokes that are very subtle. Like even when it's even over, kind of over the top, it's still a touch subtle because like when. When when Frederick is there ready to settle down for the end of the night and it's the 
you know, what the doctor care for a brandy? No, um, no, know. thank you, nothing. How about some war? So, no, some var milk? No, nothing. I'm a bit tired. Ovaltine? Nothing. <laughs> you know, it's I'm just... a little tired. Now I wonder, <laughs> <laughs> but I also wonder, were there three more or four more jokes after that that they went? Nope, Ovaltine's the last line because that's what works. You have to get beginning. A little like really warm milk, freaking Ovaltine. <laughs> Ovaltine. Ovaltine. Nothing. And and that's what I love about Gene Wilder's performance is that it's it's so he's like, like a substitute goes, teacher. Yeah, he he's... gets pissed at like you don't. But you, <laughs> there is that threshold, but you don't know where that threshold is, and he's you're gonna hit it at some point, but you just don't know when. And it's always a surprise, and that's what I love about his performance because he just goes from like melancholy, not even melancholy, but just calm and and quiet and 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 very subdued, and then it's just. You push that one button that you didn't realize existed in the first place, and you're like, let's push that one, and it's boom! <laughs> but it works. Yeah. Because that's why a lot of my favorite quotes, I normally wouldn't read off because half of them are him yelling. There are, there are two quotes in this movie that are not... There's I'll, My favorite quote I'm going to have to play, which I'll, I'll do that in, in later, but there's, there are two bits of dialogue in this movie that are, um, that are his... That I quote on a semi-regular basis, and it's always the uh, "could be worse." How? <laughs> could be raining. <laughs> and then the other one is, well, you know that didn't work out. But if science teaches us anything, it's to accept our successes as well as our failures with quiet dignity and grace. And Son of a bitch, bastard! I'll get you for this. You're gonna kill. Was it you're killing? You? What did you do to me? What did you do to me? Mine work. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. Of course, the rates have gone up. Of course, up. the rates have gone up. The other one, again, I didn't realize that some of it's like I, I chose to go a little more obscure rather than the obvious. With your quotes? Yeah. Excellent. Go the quotes, on. but they're more obscure. <laughs> and the other one, again, I forgot was Igor, was two nasty looking switches over there, but I'm not going to be the first. <laughs> and I don't know why. It just struck me as it's just there's that. There's that level of I can I would I can see him in that foot I could be in those footsteps of the the I can't speak anymore because this is <laughs> it's the grappa again, folks. It's the grappa. <clears throat> Being in his shoes, you're thinking that he says it, you yeah. know, rather than just thinking it. But he but Igor actually <laughs> says it. It's a werewolf. There, wolf. Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. Uh, yeah, I almost put that one down. Suit yourself. I'm easy. Oh, man. So, a bit of trivia. Yeah. Uh, I've got... Qu- I'm doing the trivia on this one. Are you? Um, quite a bit, actually. Um, probably most people know this. Um, the laboratory equipment. Was it? It's from the original. Okay, I was original, wondering. Uh, I, Frankenstein did, I chose not to watch the documentary that was on my Blu-ray. Yeah, it's awesome. Because it had been a while, and I wanted to kind of go, what did I remember and what did I not? And I was like, that all that equipment looks so authentic. The, uh, the guy that invented it built what was in there or invented slash built the equipment. Uh, his name was Ken Strickfaden, and he was not, given, Strickfaden. Uh, was not given credit in the original 1931 Frankenstein. So uh, Mel Brooks found out he was still alive, living in Los Angeles, and had all the stuff. Worked right. up a deal to rent the equipment to use it in the movie. 
and then gave him his his credit. Mel Brooks seems like a goofy dude, but he's a stand-up kind of guy. Like, if man, you know, I, if you know what he did with the Elephant Man when they shot that in black and white, and because uh, he produ- he just EP'd that. I forgot he didn't he take his name off of it because they didn't want him initially to think yeah. that it was a farcical comedy because it wasn't. And the studio came back and said something about it being in black and white, and Mel Brooks st- like because he was a he said he said to the studio, I'm. I, I'm sorry that you feel that way about the about the uh, the black and white, but please understand that we in no way want your opinion. Basically, is what he said. Right. Just, so he's like, you know, he's a true dude. Well, and at that time, he was a pretty powerful player. At that, you know, oh I mean, yeah, he yeah. he had come from like show show Sid Caesar. He had already had a fair amount of film creds under his belt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I, <laughs> if you didn't know. Uh, if you haven't figured it out, a lot of these people in this uh, in the cast of Young Frankenstein were they'd worked together before. They were good friends, all that, all top A players. So much of the dialogue is ad libbed or improvised. Is any of the main like cast members still alive? I think they're all like Terry Gar is still alive, right? Um, is Mel- Cloris Leachman still? Cloris Leachman is still alive, and Mel Brooks is like ninety two, ninety three years old. I mean, he's still kicking it. Um, so I might. I mean, that's what's so depressing is the realizing the majority of the main stars in this film have passed. But what was even more depressing before half of them had passed, I tried watching like the, oh, I remember the you audio telling commentary of like, and it it's so nope. somber. Mel Brooks <laughs> going through all the names of the credits because this has old school opening credit sequence like you don't see normally. And now, granted, 74, they hadn't completely transitioned, transitioned to where all the credits are at the end. So a fair amount are still at the beginning, but he goes through and all these names and he starts mentioning these names and then, oh, this person's gone, this person's gone. I'm like, God, this is depressing, and I shut it off. <laughs> yeah. It makes you go, my God, I'm 42 now. This is, I'm getting old, and damn, these people are all dead. <laughs> Tality, the, man. The score of this movie doesn't... It doesn't get the props that it probably should. That's a beautiful score, man. Yeah. I like, I like the sad tunes anyway. And it has that melancholy. Man, it's so it's, it's so beautiful. And you can actually look it up on uh, YouTube and play it. They've got the entire score uh, if you if you'd like to. It's Young Frankenstein score by John Morris, and I have it. I've I've got a copy of it. It's man, it's so good. Just I that. forgot how good it was until I was watching it again. I'm like, well, because I mean, at the, at the at the heart, a lot of people don't really think about what Frankenstein is. It's a it's a kind of a tale of alienation and wanting to belong and being rejected and all that. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort sweet, but it's sad and sweet at the same time. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, people like sweet and sour. It's sweet and sad. One last bit of trivia <clears throat> here, and I'm sure more will pop up as we talk. But um, it was at the request of Gene Wilder that Mel Brooks not visually appear in the movie. Oh, that's what I noticed. Mel Brooks. I, Mel Brooks. Well, number one, I knew that Mel Brooks wasn't in it, but I knew he was involved in directing the film and probably a producer in it as well. I think I realized that like, you hear his voice in the movie. He's the lawyer. Uh, and there's it. something else I put down here. Now he's the I... wolf. He's the cat. The... Okay. He's the yeah. cat that gets hit with the dart. <laughs> right. He's the lawyer at the beginning and a couple other sound effects. But um, Gene Wilder thought it would uh, sort of pull people out of it if Mel Brooks was in it. So he asked that he not be in it. Which, that's got to, you got to have some balls. Oh, it says, it says, was that Mel Brooks doing the voiceover of Victor Frankenstein as, the, as they first come across the secret laboratory? Yep, that was him. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and just, here's my favorite scene. From that fateful day when stinking bits of slime first crawled from the sea and shouted to the cold stars, I am man, our great.
greatest dread has always been the knowledge of our own mortality. But tonight, we shall hurl the gauntlet of science into the frightful face of death itself. Tonight, we shall ascend into the heavens. We shall mock the earthquake. We shall command the thunders and penetrate into the very womb of impervious nature herself. When I give the word, throw the first switch. You've got it, master. There's absolutely nothing funny about that. Absolutely not. Uh, you could tell that that was almost... Now it wasn't verbatim copying, but it was just so in homage to the original. It's alive! Yeah, I mean, just that verbose, like, guttural... And you talk about him screaming. shouting. Right. Going from speaking, very somber, straight up through to shouting. The passion is there. Yeah. Oh, that's what always sounds so funny about Frederick's transfer. He goes from skeptic to believer in the dream, like uh, comedically, <laughs> so fast. It's so stupidly funny. All right, all right, you win. All I'll right, say you it. win. I say it. Say it. <laughs> I know it's just it's so stupid and funny, but I, I love the just. All right, I give. Um, this, this same, beer. Same. Same, same beer. Same beer. Yeah, I'm on the same. We're on the same. Nuki. Um, I actually, I, I toyed around with actually trying to recite that whole bit, but I couldn't. Uh, I've got it memorized, but I, it's... You're like, I'm just not doing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, whenever he breaks from one to the other, it's always just, it's perfect timing. His comedic timing in this, in that role. And this is probably his best like performance, in my opinion, yeah. of anything that Gene Wilder has done. I love other things that are of Gene Wilder, regardless of whether or not it involves Mel Brooks, which it wasn't a lot. It was only like two, maybe uh, three. Producers... Uh, Blazing, That's right. I completely forget about the producers. Blazing Saddles and this. And then this. But it's my favorite Gene Wilder performance. Probably close behind is Willy Wonka, but that's just a childhood thing. And he does the from calm to manic. Sure. I would say my second favorite Gene Wilder role is uh, Skip in the movie Stir Crazy. <laughs> With Rich, that's that's my favorite. That's the first time I saw that within the last year. That was not a movie that was in our house. There were a fair amount of Gene Wilder stuff. Uh huh. Not that not one. That one. <laughs> because probably because well, there had been other movies where he was paired with Richard Pryor. Because I think uh, there's like Silver Streak, Stir Crazy, 
and another you and um, see no evil here no evil. Here, evil here no evil the one that I grew up watching was Silver Streak it's a, it's I, a great movie yeah it's a great movie it's very it's got those elements of it's like it's actually very similar to this it, yeah. it dances perfectly between funny and serious yeah because um, I remember you posting like soon like soon after he had passed away and you had posted the picture of him holding that like machine M16. gun yeah like that is so it's the not, strangest photo of the, the 20th, 20th century. century and I'm gonna make it a t-shirt at one day <laughs> <laughs> that would be great but no I mean one of the things that I'd noticed when I was watching this again for, for it had probably been a couple of years I purchased like the Mel Brooks collection and uh, even last night I tried revi- not revisiting I take this back there's a few Mel Brooks stuff I mean because I realized how much of his stuff is all it's parody Absolutely. a lot of his stuff is parody yeah. and I really wasn't paying attention to the fact of how much of his stuff is parody until the other night and I'm like oh I'm gonna watch one of these other ones I didn't ever watch I've never seen High Anxiety I put that in and oh oh god I love High Anxiety do you I didn't grow up watching it man it killed me not on a humorous level oh wow really I didn't think so oh man I think I'm starting to discover that Mel Brooks well, when did you see High Anxiety though uh, 10 oh. 12 years old or 10 12 years ago 10 or 12 years old okay i love it i mean it's hitchcock it's hitchcock yeah it's hitchcock but i think what i've discovered is that if if you aren't introduced to a mel brooks at the time that you need to be introduced to it you Mm. may find it that's the case with stupid and or boring and you could almost you could almost say he's sort of like weird al yankovic he has to Maybe he doesn't have yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, do I care about anything that Weird Al has released now since he'll... I think he still kind of does, even within the last, like, five, seven years, parroting modern... Pop stuff. More modern, or at that time, modern pop hits. Yeah. Yeah, he hits, in the, he hits on that note, and it's just... It's really hard to remove that 42-year-old brain and try to throw <laughs> in the 10-year-old or the 12-year-old. Well, and also on know ones that you haven't seen before. And also know what's hip now, and it's nostalgic. I'll give you that. It's yeah, it's a bit now, of a nostalgia. But trip. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've had a couple of rum and cokes last night after we'd eaten, and I <laughs> and Lisa went to go take a bath, and I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to put in High Anxiety. I never watched that before, and there's a couple other there in that box set that I hadn't seen. I still have it. And I just I'm gonna put in high anxiety. I like Alfred Hitchcock, and I'd love to see how he does it. And I think what bothers me most is it was just it was Mel Brooks, the main star. Well, he, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. that can. What works better, like with History of the World, is while he may kind of carry some of the main roles through that stupid movie, mm-hmm. it's not just him. Yeah, um, but I mean, parody humor. I feel right now is a bit of a lost art form. Absolutely. It was very the popular in the 70s and 80s. It. I think it was, Mel Brooks was like probably the master, number one. Yes. Because there was only a few others that existed at that time frame, like the um, G, uh, the Abrams. The Abrams. The Abrams yeah, dude, like good. Airplane and like Hot Shot and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Naked Gun. Naked Gun. The first one. But I mean. So, all right. So if you could magic wand this movie. <laughs> there's one there's one thing that made me a little uncomfortable watching that I never felt uncomfortable for until now what's that um, <laughs> Madeline Kahn pretty much Elizabeth pretty much getting raped by the monster yeah it's a little creepy yeah that yeah. I never I mean, I mean they went full blown we're gonna show this in the trailer it's 1974 it's okay we can rape women they don't really 
they're not really they're, they're not really people not really people i mean then that's kind of how it feels and it's just like man this is so just like you said with um blazing saddles and the n-word and it's like it's just that one scene more than anything else makes me feel you uncomfortable. don't notice it yeah you don't and, notice it right up until you notice it and then that's man that's i'd probably rewrite that scene somehow i don't know how i would but yeah, I'd, I I'd figure out i'd try to figure out something going i don't know if this will work unless we figure out a way where uh it is Elizabeth, right? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't get uh, pretty much raped by raped the by the monster. <laughs> I the, mean, I mean, everyone wants to play. Well, you know, they fall in love anyway. But yeah, apart from that, the, the magic. Uh, yeah, apart from that, because that's what what doesn't hold up. Like I put, it, I already put it in here because knowing we would discuss it, what doesn't work? Well, <laughs> in all seriousness, it's a tad unsettling. When the monster forces himself onto Elizabeth and then into Elizabeth. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Regardless of the outcome, it feels a bit dated in that particular subject matter. The, mine isn't anywhere near as deep as that. And the only oh. other thing that what doesn't work, how do they both get under the casket to lift it up and out of the ground? Have you ever noticed that when they go to dig up that casket? Yeah, they I both have. come up. And I went, well, I mean, I'm not nitpicking this movie because it's a comedy and these scenes should be that way. And maybe it was a, like, super inside joke for some reason. The the change I would make is, uh, not even not even a change, you can actually see this, they filmed it, is the alternate ending, I don't know if you've ever seen it, um, over the credits, basically, or under the credits, whichever. It starts off at the top of the staircase there, that big, beautiful spiral down staircase. All the cast and crew, save for the cameraman um, using the camera, they all, to the that beautiful score, mm-hmm. come down kind of in this... Par- is this closing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they come down in this sort of parade down the staircase and across the floor, that hall, and then past the camera, and then they exit, so it's stage left, whatever, camera left, and go off to the rap party. You can totally... It's probably on your Blu-ray copy. Uh, I'm sure, it's, but it's I chose great. not to, and so... It's, it's very breaking the fourth wall kind of thing, but they're it's all... It's kind of like very theatrical. Yeah, it's great. Is it? Yeah, it's, but it's, not, it's not, not in a serious tone. They're all like... They're all singing or, or uh, whatever the song. I don't know the names of the songs. Is that like that main... Yeah, that main theme. Plays on the vibe. There's yeah. words to that song? No, they're just... Oh, they just died. Yeah, they're just doing that. On. And this was all cast and crew? Mm-hmm. Which is not a big not a big roster. No, that's... So, so it's someone sort got of, struck by it's sort a of, lightsaber. It's sort of uh, uh, kind of theatrical. Everyone comes out. It's kind of like taking a final bow mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. Uh, who would you recast? I wouldn't recast it. This one was really hard, and I just left it alone. I couldn't pick anybody other than Gene Wilder. There are certain roles that I can't see anyone else in, like you, like Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. Sure, Gene Wilder as as Frederick Frankenstein. You could and maybe like Willy Wonka. That's Fra- it. That's you know? Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. You could almost say, I guess, since Matthew Broderick played his character in the remake of The Producers, you could probably cast Matthew Broderick in it. I mean, it's. I think what I love about the movie is it straddles the fine lines of it doesn't play it too hard. Like you said, if they cut out every four jokes, they cut out three. They kept that last one or they kept the one that really worked. And that's why it works. It's really hard to imagine anyone else making this movie. It's so perfectly cast with mm-hmm. everyone playing those roles just perfectly. Yep. 
that I can't. I really can't see anyone else. Ooh. In it. You say that. You said cast, and it reminds me. Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, and there was a third. Might might have been Gene Hackman. I think no, it wasn't Gene Hackman. Uh, shit, it might have been Gene Wilder. They all had the same agent, which is how they. Oh, go. okay. So well, Gene Wilder was, 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 was Gene's movie, but the other two because <laughs> that's I mean, one of my that's one of my three favorite scenes. One of my three. I think I have three scenes. The old man. The old man. The yeah. hermit Harold. I think is what my his name, name is. is Harold, and I live here alone. <laughs> It's just, I mean, every scene is like under two minutes are my favorite scenes. And I think that's third. The other two. Do you um, have your favorite queued up? Will be this one right here. Good. Good. What is it? What's the matter? Quick, give him the... Syllables. First syllable sounds like head. Uh, sounds like head. Bed. Uh, said. 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 Second syllable. Little bird. Uh, this. That. So. Said. Said. Dirty word. He said a dirty word. Oh, sounds oh. like. Give, said, give, give him a set again. Oh, on the nosey. I'm also a big fan of this one. I'm going in there. Bring me that candle. No! no. Yes. Love is the only thing that can save this poor creature. And I am going to convince him that he is loved even at the cost of my own life. No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, no matter how terribly I may scream, do not open this door or you will undo everything I've worked for. Do you understand? Do not open this door. Yes, doctor. Nice working with you. Get me the hell out of here. What's the matter with you people? I was joking. Don't you know a joke when you hear one? <laughs> Jesus Christ, get me out of here. Mm. Open this goddamn door. I'll kick your rotten heads in. Mommy. Lying. Mom! 
<laughs> yeah, those two were tied. I, I, the charades one, it was it was a little more recent, but I've always loved the <laughs> whatever you do, <laughs> no matter how hard I beg, don't open this do door. Not open this door, and then it just like. Immediately I afterwards, instantly regrets money. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's funny. I just—it's just enough stupid without being too dumb, you know. I mean, that's kind of what this movie is. Is yeah. it's just—it has those elements, but it never really like scrapes the bottom of the barrel of the stupid poop jokes it's, like other Mel Brooks can do. Yeah, that's. I think that's the the. It's the fine line. It really. I mean. It's the touch of Gene Wilder. Yeah, that was part of like my final thoughts. Is like they both, both Mel Brooks and um, Gene Wilder, really just really walked that tightrope just perfectly. Like, yeah, because leaning a little too much, it's either not funny enough or leaning a little much to the right. It's too funny. It's too funny. It's too stupid, and it's not. And then it just takes away the credibility of it being a love letter. Your your two favorites there are uh, it's a couple examples of why most people. My wife is the president of the. I hate watching this movie with Travis Club because <laughs> you. I just say it. You're very, I do you're that just, with a lot of movies anyway, but this one, especially so. Yeah, we used to play back in the day um, at my buddy Andy's house. There's a shout out, Studi. We actually I think we were playing charades one night, and I <laughs> I did the set of give, and I pissed. Everybody <laughs> pretty much ended the game. So, of course, this movie still holds up. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the last couple of things I put down was just like when he yells his name and changes the pronunciation back to Frankenstein. Man, that gives me chills. It's chilling. And I don't know why because it's just a stupid – for the most part, it's a dumb comedy movie for the most part. I mean, there's a other elements. But, I mean, for well, the most, a, it is comedy more than anything else. But, I mean, it's just that he – that's the character. He marries turn. that character yeah. so well, and, and, and that it's believable when he just goes, "My name is Frankenstein," and he just shouts that so loud, and it's just like, Ugh, "It's believable." I don't, yeah. I don't doubt it at all. Never did, but I especially don't right there. No, that's 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 what I was saying. That's the that's what this character learns in this movie is he's tried for. Let's just assume he's in his 30s. He's tried for 30-odd years to not be associated with his batshit lunacy of reanimating dead tissue. And he's, nope, nope, turns out all along, I'm, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, I'm going to do it, I'm, and I'm yep. owning it. And- well, I'm not, one of the other things that I noticed that I never noticed until this last viewing this past week was I didn't realize that during the hunt scene, I never noticed that one of the guys just runs into a tree. Because it's so dark, I guess. It's I don't just think so I've stupid. Ever noticed that either. I'd have to go back and point <laughs> it out, but it's just so like, did he just run into the tree because he didn't see where he's going? Uh, yeah, well, it's probably a sight gag. It's that's, but that's the that's the just another tick in the. This is dancing that line. Oh, the uh, what doesn't work outside of what we already talked about. It was just, the last thing was like what, and it's something that I really even think about until Lisa pointed it out to me. It was like something else that's a little peculiar is that no one seems to have noticed that Elizabeth has gone as has disappeared. Oh yeah. No one mentions it. No one's like my fiance or what does he call her? For? My, my financier. Financier. <laughs> I mean fiance. She's been abducted. <laughs> <laughs> and, woof. woof. 
Seventh. I didn't. I never thought of that. Either. Like, but pretty much once she's been captured by the monster, it's like Frederick completely forgets about her and never mentions her again for the remainder of the film. Oh yeah. There's no nothing. It's just. I guess you're. He like you're led to believe, believe that off camera. It's all been sorted out. It's I all guess. a fairy tale. Off the topic of that. <laughs> Some extra laughs, right? If you if it's not on your DVD copy, it probably is. I just have uh, the blooper reel. I caught a couple. Oh I caught God, like a minute man. or two. I love blooper reels and outtakes when they when they when, <coughs> excuse me when they can't keep you know, a straight face. <coughs> excuse me, I love that. It's that laughter is infectious, and it doesn't matter what movie it is. Blooper reels are always fun. I always love it when those pop up like during the credits yeah. of a comedy. Like they're yeah. willing to f- accept the fact that yes. But this crap is funny too. Yeah, and you will enjoy it as well. The one that is the, this is the funniest is, um, and I think Cloris Leachman said it took them like twenty takes before Gene Wilder could muster something like a straight Get face, it. and that was the uh, Igor. Could you give me a hand with the bags? Certainly. You take the blonde. I'll take the one. In oh, the do the Groucho Marx yeah. impression. And he yeah. still laughs if you yeah. watch the movie. He still stop that, and he bites her little her right little, her little yeah. He still laughs, and that was the best he could muster. Uh, final thoughts? I actually actually took the time to write mine out oh, this time, so if you want. Yeah. Uh, this, I, I would say that this is probably Mel Brooks' masterpiece when it comes to movies in general. All of, if you were to collect them all, that cream rises to the top because it's just it's, it's brilliantly written by both Brooks and Wilder. It layers in... Like subtle and then not so subtle jokes, side gags, slapstick, you know, the perfect running gag of the Frau Bluka. And the hump. And the, yeah, and the hump moving and, and it just a dash of like sexual blue humor that goes way over the heads of when I was 10 watching this movie. Was it Elevate Me? Was it? <laughs> Elevate Me. What, right here? Right here? Yes. Oh, he oh is zit, the, zat, the, the uh, platform. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that and the fact that Madeline Kahn and Terry Garr were just so... Sexy. Yeah. I love Madeline Kahn. She's... Uh, yeah. She's... Perfectly trained singer as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I don't doubt it. That she... As it, it wouldn't surprise me that that was her voice with the... <laughs> the... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it found them both at their peak form not a lot of them at their peak form yeah i think most of the <clears throat> most of the performances with their peak form i think wilder and brooks were at their peak form, comedic form as well where it was like i found the right balance and i think this is this works yeah i'm like when it comes to parodies i i really can't find anything greater than young frankenstein probably when it comes to parodies i would say as a personal favorite I would shift to Spaceballs, but that only happened to be because I was a... It came out... In your wheelhouse? At, 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 in my sure. wheelhouse, what, a couple years, came 11 or 12, 19, yeah. 1987. yeah. So, I mean, I remember seeing that in the theater. I think I went and probably saw it with all my cousins. So they were all girls, and they probably didn't care for it as much as I did. Sure. <laughs> so I love Spaceballs. But I love it on a such a, a boyhood probably quote Spaceballs more, but just because it just hit me at that right. Right. Timing. Can you uh, can you provide a better or at least comparable recommendation of the same genre? 
<laughs> I really couldn't only. I mean, I can only recommend other Mel Brooks movies if you like. So this if one. you're if you're if you're going straight like genre parody or send up, the, uh, the airplane is good. The, it's a little more. It's a little more. It's a little more toilety. Like, well, there's a little more toilety, and it's a little more jokes like hitting you square on the head with that yeah. hammer. Where could, this one, it was a little more subtle, and you had to pay attention. Yeah. There's the humor is a little more dry in this one than Absolutely. it is in the airplane. It's like. We're punching you square in the face with some of these no, jokes. No one does it like as well as Mel Brooks. When, or as especially, bad as Mel Brooks. Or later, as bad, yeah. Later on. Because, yeah, because that's what I put down here. I was like, if you want a similarly toned parody, <clears throat> but have it involve science fiction, do Spaceballs. If you want a dirtier Mel Brooks, go Blazing Saddles or History of the World Part 1. If you want to see where the wheels start to fall off, watch Robin Hood Men in Tights. If you... <laughs> And then I was like, if you want to see a completely derailment of the genre, watch Dracula Dead and Loving. It. Never watched that. <laughs> I've only desire. caught pieces and I'm like, I don't want to watch this whole thing because it looks not awesome. <laughs> or pretty much any other Leslie Nielsen theatrical release piece of crap from the 1990s. <laughs> because that was Leslie Nielsen playing Dracula or some iteration of there. There was a, and I'll never be able to pronounce his name. His first name was Inzio. Like an Italian guy. Mel Brooks actually did a cameo in the movie. Actually, let me back up. Transylvania 6 5000 is a good, not raunchy, but a little PG, PG-13. It's probably PG-13. And it was done by... Um, I don't remember. I, I can't remember like his I've name. The, the writer-director was in... Right. He was the guy with the silver teeth in High Anxiety. He took some of his sensibilities from Mel Brooks, and he uh, wrote and directed Transylvania 6 5000. It's not so much a spoof, but it's... Uh, it's a little monster movie, but if you want straight spoof, there was one in the mid '90s called Silence of the Hams, with Billy Zane as the lead character, uh, Joe D. Foster. He's an FBI agent, and the the the, the criminal he goes to. Are you crying? Don't cry. <laughs> he goes to Doctor Animal something or other who killed people and I put love them in Dr. Pizza. Animal something or other and Dr. Animal something or other is played by Dom DeLuise um, and it's really stupid but no I can't I can't it's a short answer I can't that's the problem is a lot of spoofs now or even in like the 90s when they started to do like the scary, scary movie. movie and they really started like God, what was it the X the, this movie and the that movie and they were all like like, yeah, like yeah. so ham-handed and and stupid in that respect it was just they just they made fun of the genre only rather than paying homage and still respecting it. austin, austin powers, powers would be that's a good spoof with yes it's a love lettery spoof to like bond bondian type of spy yeah. movies or uh you know what actually on a more serious spoof note if that's a thing the uh our man flint or in like flint those I've never seen. I've heard, are, but I've those never... Those are great. Those are good. They spoofed the spy genre um, before Austin Powers did it because it, it was in... It was in the 60s, 67 right? 67 and 68. Yeah. And those are great. So yeah, there. I had to think really long and hard, but it spoofs it and also pays homage to it and isn't disrespectful because I feel like Austin Powers is kind of disrespectful in some ways because right. Mike Myers, is, he's a hack. Um, it was. It's more I'm making fun of it than just I love it for what it is. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't know how to love something without being kicking it in the nuts. Yeah, yeah, kinda. Exactly. 
But it works with Austin Powers for the most part. I mean, the first one for sure. Well, it had its moments. Final thoughts on this one: One October night, it was a Friday. I remember specifically. My mom rented this for me from the library because when I was a kid, I didn't read books. I rented movies from the library. Hey, when I you remember, had a library that could rent movies, why not? And I remember driving, or I wasn't driving, but my mom was driving home, and I was looking out the window at the full moon, and I got home, and I put this VHS in. And wish it was Silver Bullet. No. <laughs> Sorry. And I, I, I didn't fully understand <laughs> I didn't fully understand the jokes uh, or a good portion of the movie, but somehow... It kind of just got its hooks into me. And the general spirit, I think, is, is what I got. All parts of this film add up perfectly. Everyone was a willing accomplice to Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks' own kind of half-cocked creation. With a bit of Mel Brooks's lightning. Life. Jesus, that was sappy. That's it. <laughs> a couple things here at the end. Uh, feel free to send us an email at... That would be sixpack dot... Double feature. Dot double feature. Yeah, um, we... We're not up on Facebook. We're not up on Twitter right now. We're just... Hey, look, we may have a dozen people listening to us right now. And Hey, you know what? You got any ideas, suggestions, or complaints, or concerns, or uh, gripes, or... Leave us comments. Just, yeah. Leave us comments at the Podbean. If, Leave us comments on our personal Facebooks. Because it's yeah. not... You know, we're not trying to make money or anything. We're just having we're not. fun. We're just having fun talking about movies we like, drinking beer, or... Punching our livers. Or... You know, camel pee or <laughs> or a drink that seems appropriate for the movies that we're talking about. So, so yeah, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I said we're going to take a bit of a break, and we'll be back uh, in Probably a couple, early, two or three months. Yeah, something. I would say early spring, late winter, depending on how, when the groundhog shows up, I guess. <laughs> Off to see the groundhog? Yeah. Off to see the groundhog. <laughs> see you guys. <laughs>